0: Welcome to the YYC Soccer Podcast. My name is Jason Komet, and my co-host is Scott Strasser. Hi, Scott.
1: Hey, Jason. How's it going for you this evening?
0: Yeah, it's going okay. Uh, Everything is just sort of status quo, and uh, yeah, just looking forward to getting another podcast in. This is the big two-five, the quarter of a century mark. Wow, yeah. I know a
1: lot of podcasts don't get to that many, so it's great that we've been able to, to turn out so many episodes. It's still a pretty new podcast, but I, I think a lot of people in the Calgary soccer community have heard about it or listened to some episodes, and I think we've had some good uh, guests on over the months. So uh, maybe we can give ourselves a pat on the back for, for hitting that 25-episode
0: milestone. So if you are a new listener and you're wondering, what is the YYC Soccer Podcast all about, Scott? So if you have somehow stumbled upon this podcast accidentally, uh, we
1: focus on soccer in Calgary at the amateur, collegiate, and professional levels. We talk about the teams and the players from the city's soccer community, from the grassroots and amateur leagues up to the university and professional level. And we throw in a lot of interviews as well with uh, members from the soccer community.
0: Yeah. And this episode, we actually aren't going to have an interview We're we're hoping to put something together, but it didn't quite work out. So we're just going to do um, a lot of reviewing here of, of the Cavs and what we're going to talk about their road trip. They finished off their three game road trip with uh, matches with, against Forge and HFX We'll talk about this upcoming match against uh, Vancouver and do some U21 minute updates and also do a little bit of chatting about U sports and NCAA and, and ACAC as well.
1: Yeah, so we're definitely into September topics because we have a lot of university and college soccer to talk about. And with the CPL regular season winding down, it of course makes sense to continue focusing on Cavalry ha- as we've been doing for a couple of episodes in a row now. But Cavalry has had quite the month, so I think it's uh, it's worth chatting about them this time.
0: Let's start with those two matches from last weekend. And the first one was on Saturday and the Cavs went to Hamilton, played Forge, and it was a goalless draw. Certainly a cagey one. Both teams had their
1: moments, but it didn't often feel like a goal was coming. And I feel like a a nil-nil draw was probably the most fitting result. I didn't actually have a lot to say about this match other than that. And it is a rare result for Cavalry versus Forge. There's usually a one, two, or three goals um, whenever they play each other. Uh, always seems to be quite even. Although, of course, the previous time these two teams played, it was a 3 nothing win for Cavalry, which was pretty historic in early August. And they've really been on a roll since then. Yeah, I, I mean, a goal is draw when you're, when you're traveling to Hamilton and playing at Tim Hortons Field. I know that uh,
0: cavalry was was not too upset about that at all, for sure. And then they went a couple days later, I guess a few days later. And on Tuesday they played uh, HFX Wanderers in Halifax, and they pulled off the victory, two one.
1: Yeah, cavalry had a really strong start to the game. Went up two nothing early into the second half, but by the end they were just holding on. So strong first half. Mile Henry or Mile Henry. He scored. Uh, I don't think he was trying to shoot. I think it was a cross, but no one got on the end of it and uh, managed to squeak into Halifax's net. And then uh, early into the second half, Dan Klomp, who we've you know touted as one of Cavalry's key defensive stalwarts this season, possibly one of the best defenders in the CPL this year, but he's an attacking threat as well, and he proved it getting on the end of a, a pinpoint corner kick from Ali Moosey to head home uh, a really nice headed goal. And on that note, Ali Moosey was putting good corner kicks in all game. So kudos to him for his set piece delivery. But yeah, Dan Klomp, powerful header, very reminiscent of like Dominic the style goal. Of course, Halifax earned a penalty toward the end of the match. I think Daniel Nimick took it and scored. Yes. Um, yeah. And and they, they looked really dangerous after that. It seemed like uh, it could have very easily been a 2-2 draw but uh, Cavalry held on defensively. They have been very good defensively as of late, so uh, that has to be uh, mentioned. But uh, I think, yeah, earlier this season, this game may have ended 2-2, but uh, Cavalry's defense has really improved in the second half of the season, and and they managed to
0: do enough to to win the match 2-1. Yeah, I was just going to say that if this game would have been earlier in the year, I kind of would have expected that goal to happen and ending up 2-2. But yeah, they... They did what they needed to do, and they they came out of it. And I did not like the looks of that match from the from the standpoint of the humidity and the fog, and everything was wet. I, I have a feeling that it was a lot trickier to play out there than than maybe one would originally suspect. But uh, be that as it may, it, it all turned out fine, and uh, they they were able to come away with the three points. Well, the the
1: well known joke about can they do it on a wet, windy night in Stoke. So I think uh, on Twitter I saw someone joking about cavalry have been good, but could they do it on a foggy Tuesday night in Halifax? And <laughs> yeah. it, it turns out they could this time. Yeah. Uh, but Halifax has traditionally been a place cavalry have struggled to pick up points. And on that note, it was a, quite a quite a successful three game road swing in general for cavalry, right? Like they went to Ottawa, they went to Hamilton, they went to Halifax. So three stadiums and and three teams they've struggled to pick up points against in the past, and they managed to get uh, seven out of a possible nine points. Really strong overall from Cavalry, uh, really showing their championship intentions. You know, if Cavalry does win the the North Star Shield this year or they win the, the regular season title, I feel like this, these last three or four games, that's really where they, they turn the tables and they, they, you know, they've built up seven points space between them and, and uh, second place. And they seem like they're, they're on track to win the regular season title. And if they do that, then they'll, they'll take that momentum into the playoffs. And with that weird format that the CPL has created for the playoffs this season, finishing in first does give you a, a favorable kind of
0: roadmap to the final. Uh, It is a little more forgiving in the sense that if you're uh, the first place club, you can actually lose and still stay in it. But right now, when it comes right down to it, if you're just looking at the regular season title, um, it really is the Cavs to lose at this point. They're really in a nice position. They've already clinched the playoff spot. When you look at even this upcoming match against Vancouver, if they win on Saturday against Vancouver... York, Ottawa, and HFX, they're out of the first place contention. They can't beat Cal- Calvary and, and get first place. And if the Cavs win combined with a loss for, by Forge, that eliminates Forge from taking the top spot. And if the Cavs win and Pacific loses, oh, it virtually guarantees them they win it. All the Cavs would have to do is get one point in their final three games to clinch. So it's really looking very promising right now for that regular season title. Right.
1: And and I think three of their last four matches are at home. So they'll have home field advantage. Some of those teams they're playing at home are, are teams they've, you know, really in, uh, had some success against in the past. So Vancouver this weekend and then Valor on September 29th. Then they'll have a tough matchup against Pacific on October 7th. But the league, the regular season table may already be determined by that point. And their road game is against York United Saturday, September 23rd. Really, like you said, yeah, the regular season title is Cavalry's to lose at this point.
0: All right, let's move on and talk about the U21 minutes. This has really become a regular segment on the podcast at this point. So, as a recap, every club in the CPL have to achieve 2,000 minutes played by domestic U21 players. And after 24 matches, the Cavs total is. 1,649. So they are getting closer. I guess they're 351 minutes away with four matches to play. That's going to average out to being 88 minutes per match, which they did bring it down a little bit uh, in this last match, but they they still have a little ways to go. It's mostly been on the backs of Mel Henry and Gareth Smith Doyle, who have played substantial minutes in the last couple road games.
1: Yeah, and they are—they really don't have that many options outside of those two. You have Joseph Holiday, who's a backup goalkeeper, who's, I believe, still just 18 years old. Then you have Michael Harms, who's uh, a right back, who I believe is only 17 years old. As we've talked about a lot on this podcast, Gauté Natigny was kind of the go-to guy for Cavalry this season for you 21 Minutes, and, and he's moved on from the club and, and is playing in France now. So it really falls to Gareth Smith Doyle and Mile Henry to generate these minutes in the last four games. If one of them gets hurt, I feel like they're gonna have to field either Joseph Holiday or Michael Harms. But it shouldn't be that hard. And I feel like they're gonna hit that target maybe with a game to spare. But yeah, you're right. They only really brought it down a little bit because it was around hundred minutes per game before the Halifax game. And now it's eighty-eight minutes per game. So they really do have to be cognizant of of this. I did ask Tommy Wheeldon Jr. about U21 minutes in their last press conference. And I just want to read his kind of quote, his response verbatim. Um, I was curious. I asked him exactly how Cavalry was going to plan out the the U21 minutes for the last five games at the time I asked him. and, And this is exactly what he said. So this is his quote. It's an excellent rule, but you've got to use it strategically. I think you've always got to play the right players for the right game. We've always been one that's not necessarily in the top half of the U21 minutes, yet we've sold four of our U21 players. So we're obviously doing something right with them, and I think that was the purpose of this rule. It's not how many minutes you get, but how much quality you can get within those minutes. That's been our rule from day one, from Victor Latourie to Arabin Peppel to Mo Farsi to Gotei Natigni. I think we've become the model because you can run out the table and I think the highest two are Valor and Vancouver. No disrespect, but they're at the wrong end of
0: the other table. So we'll do it like we've always done strategically. It's a little bit tight getting with four games uh, left in the season, but I kind of think they're going to be able to pull it off and by the way here's my uh, bold prediction for this weekend's match against vancouver that uh, michael harms will be in the 18 i probably won't start but i just i have a feeling that he'll he'll be dressed and if the opportunity presents itself he'll uh he'll get some minutes but that's i i have no inside knowledge but i i'm just making that prediction mm-hmm. i think it's a fair prediction i uh I think he played
1: well in the one game that he did get this season. So I feel like, you know, it's not too much of a gamble to put him on against um, a team that may not actually get to attack that much, depending on how the game goes. Vancouver is, of course, struggling this year. They're in last, Cavalry's in first, Cavalry's at home. You can expect Cavalry to be on the offensive for most of the match. But as we've seen, that might not be what actually happens. Yeah, I was thinking about Tommy's answer, and uh, I like what he said about how even though they're not generating that many minutes compared to some other clubs, particularly Pacific, I think one year Pacific had 10,000 U21 minutes. If you look at the U21 players that Cavalry has produced, they're the ones that have gone on to these, you know, better and bigger opportunities, right? All of them, Victor Latoury, Arabin Peppel, Mo Farsi, Goten and It seems like they have had a really good approach to the way they uh, they field their U21 players. And and give them opportunities to advance their careers and and
0: develop that experience quality over quantity, I guess. Let's go on and talk a little bit about uh, all the various different post secondary leagues playing right now. And we can start off with uh, U sports. Um, There were a few big matches uh, this weekend in Canada West. And um, the first match I wanted to mention was on the women's side. Uh, The dinos were facing McEwen in Edmonton. And this was a big matchup between the top two teams in the division and McEwen did pull off the victory, um, one nil on a goal from Calgary and Grace Maswala. The Dinos essentially dropped into second place, but they did also have, uh, on that road trip, they played the U of A and beat them up in Edmonton. So one win, one loss, they did fall out of the top 10 nationally, but, uh, yeah, it was, that was a a big match uh, against McEwen and, uh, that those are two pretty powerful teams in canada west and, and they they weren't able to quite uh n- and nail it so on the men's side mount royal uh, faced uh, u of a and this was uh another big matchup to decide first place in the division and u of a won uh one nil so they're now in first place mount royal also played McEwen, and they won they hold steady nationally at number seven what do you think scott uh those are two pretty big matches
1: yeah uh, Definitely two early top-of-the-table clashes in the Prairie Division of Canada West. And then I think on the uh, men's side for the Dinos, they lost both games uh, on a trip to Edmonton. So that has been a rough start for them. They're still seeking their first win, and I think they're 0-3-1 at the moment. But the Cougars are are clicking. Uh, They're in second behind the U of A with a 4-1 record. I, I do feel like they'll be ruining that loss to Alberta. Um, considering they were at home, uh, it was, I believe, a, a late goal. I want to say that U of A scored. I seem
0: think you're right. Yeah, you know.
1: yeah, and it was actually a, a former FC Edmonton player uh, who scored it, Marcus Baladozaga. If you remember him from the inaugural 2019
0: season. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I do. I do remember that name because it is a, a, a memorable name.
1: Yeah, because he was he was young back. I think he was seventeen in that inaugural season. So he'd be in his early twenties now. But looks like he's landed with the Golden Bears. Uh, and on the women's side, yeah, another kind of heavyweight battle in the Prairies Division, maybe even in Canada West overall, uh, between the Dinos and McEwen it was always going to be a really good battle. And uh, you, I guess you could call it the Diogo Raposo Derby because he's coached both of those teams. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was. I think I, I root for the Dinos, right? I'm a U of C alum, so I was disappointed to see they couldn't come out on top. But at least a Calgarian, you know, was able to to be the reason why, right? Grace Masala has had a great season, and uh, she scored the deciding goal, so uh, she continues her uh, her stellar performance for McEwen Griffins this year.
0: And just to round out for the fourth team uh, in U-Sports based out of Calgary. Um, Mount Royal women's team, they they tied Trinity Western in their only match uh, um, of the past weekend.
1: Yeah, and it was a, a morale booster, I would say, because it was actually a 90th minute equalizer. Uh, so there, as um, as we mentioned in a previous episode, they're playing in the in the Pacific division this year, which I think is a tough challenge. You know, it's a lot more travel. It's a lot more, you know, bus and flying time. And I do think, you know, you're playing teams that can train outside all year round. And I think traditionally BC teams have have kind of been stronger uh, when it comes to Canada West compared to the other provinces. But yeah, good, a good way to finish off what 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 was probably a tough match against the Spartans.
0: Okay, let's move over to um, the college ranks. And this past weekend was the opening weekend for the ACAC season. We'll start off with the men, and there was um, an all-Calgary derby between SAIT and Ambrose, and SAIT uh, won 2-0, and currently the SAIT men are ranked third nationally amongst the college teams in the Canadian College Association. Then on the women's side, there was also the same derby, the, the Ambrose uh, State derby, and Sate won 15-0, and then this kind of goes against what I had originally said. I was under the impression that always matches were men's and women's combined but um the women did go play augustana and uh the men didn't it was just that match and sate beat augustana 9-0 right now uh sate is ranked 14th nationally interestingly enough they are the third ranked acac team behind Keanu and lethbridge so i'm kind of curious to see if um sate is pulling off these dominant victories Yet they're still considered to be the third best team uh, in Alberta. That uh, that makes me uh, kind of wondered well, what what are those matches going to be like?
1: Yeah, I, and I think we'll we'll find out eventually when they play those two teams. Do they play those two teams? Yeah, they do, right? Because the they
0: will play Lethbridge, but I don't think they'll Not play Cano because I think you only stay in your like division, like North or South. Until so I don't one. think I don't okay. think they'll play Cano unless it gets to the playoffs. But I think they do play Lethbridge though. Okay,
1: but. I mean uh, I don't know if you know the the sports uh, journalist Ben Steiner? Is that name? I right do. Yes, us?
0: he's he does a lot of college uh, yeah. stuff. Yeah.
1: I know he he did a, a pretty interesting article last week about the lack of parity in women's soccer and youth sports and he really dug into that and and highlighted a lot of really lopsided results that were like 8-0, 6-1, 12-0, that kind of thing and it was really pronounced in Ontario. Um, but there were also some examples from Canada West, but it seems like he could have maybe extended that to uh, to college soccer because it looks like in the ACAC there's huge gaps in quality be- between some of the teams. You shouldn't be seeing a 15 nothing and a nine nothing result. Uh, I know Sade is good. We, we talked to um, one of their coaches last week about the team, and we know where they've been in the past and where they want to go. Uh, it is It's too bad that you know the, the they're not getting challenged in some of these games. I mean, 15 nothing and 9 nothing. there's there's not much you can really talk
0: about in terms of the game. It was a slaughter, right? Yep, that is true. I thought we would uh, talk a little NCAA. I really kind of get a kick out of following what's going on down in, in the NCAA in the women's division. There are um, 20 Calgarians playing in, in Division One women's soccer, and I've been trying to keep track of how they're doing on a week by week basis. And even to the point now where I've kind of made myself a little spreadsheet and I'm keeping track of everything. And if you go to our website at yycsoccer.com, there is a, a button on there for the, our substack page. And I did a, a little article and it's really only if you're really interested in sort of these little, like weird nichey little things like I am. But uh, if you want to see the, the stats and the breakdowns of the 20 players that are playing in the NCAA. I kind of broke it down in there and stuff. I guess if I want to really give you the real brief Coles notes of the 20 Calgarians playing, eight of them are playing for two different teams, Memphis and Maine. And uh, I think as far as how those teams are doing, Memphis is doing really well. And I think we kind of already know quite a bit about uh, Memphis, you know, Maya Jones and there's three other Calgarians on there as well. They're all playing regularly And they're ranked 13th nationally. uh, And they've got a record of five wins and a loss. Maine also has the four Calgarians. They're all playing pretty regularly. And they leave their conference with a record of five wins and three ties, but they haven't been able to crack the, the top 25 nationally or anything.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah the Memphis connection I think we've we've talked about it yeah Maya Jones definitely but Grace Storty and Izzy Monk and uh, the fourth one is escaping me
0: but oh, it's, it's Anna Hauer she's Anna Hauer. Okay. a freshman yeah
1: freshman. okay because yeah we um we know that they all played for, or three of them played for Foothills WFC in the summertime and they've been playing for Memphis most of them for a while so that connection is is pretty well established right and it's neat that you know, there's this soccer connection between Calgary and Memphis of all places. I, I was surprised to see that it was 20 uh, that are playing in the NCAA. I think that's a really impressive number. And it it speaks to Calgary's kind of growing reputation as a soccer city. Because I, 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 I tend to, I know that some of the coaches in Calgary have relationships with schools in, in the U.S. And a lot of players, you know, when they're in junior high and high school, like that's their aim to get down and play in the NCAA. And it seems like more and more are doing it, which is great.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm the first to admit I might be missing people off that list, but that I, I do have that list together. And, and if there's any other ones I'm missing, please feel free to reach out to us um, through our social media or, or uh, leave us a message on on our website. And uh, I would be happy to to track them. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting, and I'm kind of curious to see how, how Maine's going to turn out here. Because you know, even if they don't turn into you know a top 25 ranked team, if they win their conference, that sends them to their um, national tournaments, so they do get the opportunity to you know get in there with all the really big clubs so I guess we'll see what happens but yeah I think uh, it's kind of interesting story Maine in addition to having uh, four Calgarians they they're chock full of Canadians they've got a can't remember how many Canadians overall but a good chunk of their team uh, are from north of the border
1: do you know which club those four players came from were they all from the same club is it like their coach knows someone down in in Maine and that's how that pipeline
0: started so of the players like two of them are the Schneider sisters um Myla and Emma but they're both Blizzard players they played for um Blizzard in uh, League One Alberta and they went through the Blizzard system uh the other player who's playing a lot is Rebecca Grisdale and she's from the Foothills program she's actually a transfer she did her freshman year at Memphis last year but I don't think she really played very much and this and year she ended up in Maine and she's playing a lot. She's basically, she's on the back line and I think she's virtually played every minute as a sophomore. So it seems like from a playing time standpoint, it was a good move for her. But yeah, she's Foothills as well. I think she played league one. Maybe she even played a mix of league one and UWS, but she was on the Foothills team. The fourth player that's with me is Victoria Dungy and she is a freshman and she was with Foothills League One Alberta this year. So yeah, that's the connection there. So of those four players that are with Maine, two of them uh foothills backgrounds and, and the, the two uh Schneider sisters are have blizzard backgrounds.
1: Okay, interesting. Uh but like no, like I'll just reiterate, it's it's uh, neat to see Calgarians succeed uh down in the States. Um NCAA is is a tough nut to crack, and seems like a lot of Calgarians have successfully taken
0: that route. And uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to keep my eyes on that over the uh, the next few weeks and and leading into the um, their uh, national tournament. And I think that pretty much covers it for this week. Um, Scott, is there anything else you want to add in? Or I think I think we've uh, we we've hit a bunch of topics, and uh, we we filled the time even without an interview this week.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's it's a great time of of year to talk about Calgary soccer because we got the college teams going and we've got the uh, end of the regular season and the CPL to chat about. And, and Cavalry's obviously on a hot streak. Uh, I'm excited to to keep talking about these teams, and uh, hopefully next week we'll we'll uh, we'll get that interview or we'll get another interview in. I do plan to be at uh, Saturday's game against Vancouver at spruce meadows it's been quite a while since i've been at a cavalry game so i'm excited to get back and see everybody for the first time and since probably early august
0: yeah and unfortunately it's going to be one i'm going to have to miss but uh i I'm, we'll, we'll catch you at the next one i guess scott but uh, i can't uh, I can't swing this one uh, on my schedule this week so i'm very curious to see how they finish this year if, if they win
1: the title um like the the north star shield if they win the playoffs uh i think that would you know i i don't consider myself per se like a cavalry fan but it would be very cool to see and i think their fan base is growing and and winning a championship would would make it grow even more
0: definitely and then of course if they qualify for concacaf next year that that would be a really uh that could really be interesting as well but that's a whole other topic for another day so hey, could you imagine getting media accreditation for a trip down to like honduras or something Oh, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking, what what about hang a note in the Spruce Meadows press box if um, another team that qualified for Concacaf next year, you know, they're they're based in Miami. They're uh... oh.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Do you think uh,
1: do you think there would be um, a sellout that game if that happened?
0: You could make an argument that you could probably buy a season ticket and you could you could probably subsidize all the rest of your tickets for the whole year by selling your messy ticket yeah your Messi ticket exactly
1: well that happens it'd be a dream come true for me i uh, i haven't seen Messi play live and um that's on my bucket list and i'm worried he's going to retire before i get to so let's cross our fingers that that hypothetical scenario happens it'd be pretty cool to ask him a question during a press conference
0: oh yeah yeah that would that would be something i'm not holding my breath a lot of things have to happen to for the the draw to fall that way and everything but but it's theoretically it's possible well let's see what happens Thank you for listening to the YYC Soccer Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast by using all the usual podcasting platforms. Head over to our website at yycsoccer.com, where there's more information about how to subscribe or to leave a question or comment. And you can follow us on Twitter at YYC Soccer 403. Thanks for listening.